Welcome to The Porch Cast, the podcast where we talk about being a creative business owner and all the crazy ups and downs that go along with that. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, and I can't wait to get started. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of The Porch Cast. I just wanted to take a second to talk about our program, Danger School, where we teach you how to grow the four pillars of your creative business so you can chase your dreams while funding your dreams, paying your bills, and growing in community with freedom and abundance. This is an online course with so much great information to help you raise your prices, um, implement proven frameworks for launching and growing, tracking your finances, and much, much more. If you are interested in joining Danger School, you can sign up anytime at dangerschool.com and read more all about what the course includes and how you can become a part of this community. We look forward to having you. And now here's the show. Well, hey, and welcome back to the Porchcast. I am so excited to have my friend and my mortgage broker, Mark Neely, on the Porchcast today to talk about buying a home as a creative business owner, all the complexities that go with that. Um, so I'm excited for you to introduce yourself, kind of what you do, where you are, how you got into this business, and then we'll kind of jump in. We got this is the most questions I've ever gotten when I've recorded a podcast. Like everyone had a question for you, so they're so we're so excited to talk with you today. Good, good. Um, so my name is Mark Neely, and I'm native Nashvilleian. I grew up here. I've uh, been in the mortgage business about a long time, about 25 years. I got in when I was 27. And I'm, I just turned 53, so I'm, uh, I'm rolling right along in this industry, and a lot's changed. You know, a lot has stayed the same, and it's really about relationships and um, getting people to where they want to be from point A to point B. And so many things are automated now, and technology's really helped us, I think. And, um, but I'm excited today to talk about specifically, I mean, I do work with a lot of creatives, a lot of artists, a lot of um, you know, recording artists, sound engineers, uh, yeah. people that are any sort of uh, walk of life, um, cash, you know, I mean, even, uh, you know, hostesses and, 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 and servers. So, yeah, but uh, excited to, to be with you today. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I had so many questions come through because I think most people's fear is, oh, if I'm self-employed, I'll never be able to own a home. And, um, you know, you helped me buy my very first home when I was in a really different situation and um, had like a credit score of zero and all kinds of things. And I was like, I don't know how this happened, but that one house was such a great investment. I had just like been such a, a blessing for the, you know, the future of my, of my like investment growth. And I just want everyone to be able to own a home. And I'm sure you do like, do you see that a lot of, of um, like the benefits of getting in and owning a home early or like what, why should people own a home versus renting forever if they can? Well, that's a great question just because um, perhaps just being in the industry, I sometimes I wrongly assume that everyone knows how, how great of a thing it is to buy a home. But the biggest reasons are just for what you just said. I mean, just telling your, you know, your life story as it, as it has to do with home ownership uh, over the last few years, if you can, if you can somehow buy a home, um, you know, traditionally real estate goes up in value and it, it goes up in value more than most of us could, could probably save money. So you may not own that first home forever. You may you know own it. And then um, for a few years, it goes up in value. Maybe you put some, um, uh, some improvements into the property. We call that sweat equity. And then um, all of a sudden the property's worth even more. And then you go to, to sell it. You've got this huge down payment for the next one. So um, it's very important to, to, the sooner you can, can buy. Um, and we'll talk about all those ways that, that we can get you there, even if it seems impossible, but there's so many ways uh, to purchase a home. And the sooner you can do it, I mean, the really the better off you're going to be just because, it's almost like a train that's just going down the tracks. And I think sometimes people are more concerned about, Hey, I'm not sure if, if it's just passed me by, you know, Hey, Nashville's 
now become, you know, for those of us who are around here, I mean, we're like, holy smokes, would have never thought, you know, this is going to, but it's all relative because if, if it's more expensive somewhere else than it is here and those people are coming here to them, it doesn't seem, you know, as much of a, a stretch. So, uh, but lots of, uh, lots of ways to get people there, you know, no matter what. So there's still homes to be had. There's still, still, uh, still first time buyer homes out there to be had. And um, I think now the way everything is growing, uh, just not only in Davidson County, but just surrounding counties. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you feel like you're close to everything. So. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and looking back, I mean, that was maybe six years ago, I bought my first home and it's exactly what you said, like, because I mean, a lot of credit goes to you because you were able to help me get a mortgage to get into that first house. Then when it went up in equity and we moved into our other house and investment properties and things like that, like that initial investment has grown so much, even just in six years. And um, a lot because I had a really great mortgage broker to help me get into that first house where a lot of people probably wouldn't have helped me. So um, I'm glad you brought up about the uh, the credit score. I'd forgotten that piece. Um, so I made a note there um, because I think that's you had no credit score. I'd forgotten that part. Yeah, because I had never so, had a credit uh, card. So I was young and had never had a credit card and had no credit score. <laughs> right, right. Right. And so we can talk about that. I mean, I bet there's probably someone out there that's maybe wondering, um, you know, about that. So you just tell me I'm here. I'm all ears. Um, I'm at your disposal. I'm ready to, to answer some questions. So I've got some ideas, um, you know, about uh, probably what I think people are going to want to know. So if you fire yeah. away. Cool. I got lots of questions before. So we like with the benefits of owning a home, I wanted to also see if there are any risks to getting into a home before you're ready. Like, is there anything on the flip side to look out for? And um, I don't know, anything to like balance the two things. Of, like, sure. Hey. Right. And I think sometimes um, with uh, self-employed folks, you have irregular income is what we call it. It's irregular. So it's not Hey, I'm working and making the same amount every time. And so that can be held its own challenge uh, with regards to what do I, you know, the person asking themselves, what what do I need really to live? Um, Because I've got, you know, I don't have the same amount coming in. And so, you know, I have to base my life maybe on like a low month or low week or whatever. And so those are, those are challenges. I mean, so it's, it's kind of up to the person to, you don't want to, I guess my point is you don't want to over, extend yourself. And even though on paper, um, you may be able to afford the home. If, if you know, that's really going to be really, really tough. Um, even though by rule, maybe you're, you're getting approved, you know, by the guidelines, uh, from the lender, from us. Uh, I mean, there's times where I, you know, boy, you know, it, it, is this something you feel comfortable with? And oftentimes it's, you know, with some employed people, Hey, I, yeah, it, it's what they're really living off of is not really indicative on paper because they write off things. And so hopefully that's the case and they've got some other cash thing, but you know um, that are coming in that are really making it easy. So I think just that. And also if you're, if you're thinking about maybe moving in a year, or so like, Hey, I may not be planting roots here very long. That's another reason to maybe say, Hey, I'm not sure you want to necessarily purchase right then. But I mean, in this market, boy, I mean, I still think, you know, maybe you do get something to live in. You may as well. And then I think it's going to sell fast typically. I mean, everyone wants to live in Nashville. I mean, I'll bring this up, uh, not because I think it's pertinent, but you know, I, I'm a season ticket holder, or my dad is the Titans game. We went to the Titans game. There's a reason why all of you know that the that there's 30 percent you know Buffalo Bills fans there. I mean, Nashville's a fun place to be. You know, it's really cold in a lot of these places, or maybe they, you know every the word the you know this the word is out. You know, it's a happening place, and so I say that because I think we're just going to continue to attract folks and uh, you know, it's, it's a popular place. So I think that's good for everyone in all of our industries. If, if, if you're, a, you're, you're an artist, you know, if you're in the restaurant business, whatever you're doing, you know, more people coming um, you hopefully that, you know, we're improving our way of life here, you know? So. 
Totally. Totally. Okay. Well, let me jump into some questions because you kind of right. you brought this up and it was asked a bunch of times by people on Instagram and Facebook of as far as a, as a mortgage broker is concerned, how does a self-employed person demonstrate to a mortgage broker that they can pay for a mortgage when they're writing off a ton of stuff, you know, like when you're trying to write off as much as you can. So maybe it makes your income look very small, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Right. Right. And so I guess, so it's kind of like first the bad news, right? Um, The bad news is if there is such a thing is in the world of restaurant business and a lot of cash business, it can be hard because when you go to, to, to purchase a home, you come to visit me. What we're going to ask for is records of like your last two years tax return. So it's, it's, I want to say it's not uncommon for someone to be making $50,000 at their bar job in real life. Like that's how they're living, but maybe they only claim $15,000 because so much of it is going through, you know, just cash or whatever. We totally understand that. The problem becomes is you you can't we can only use what's on that tax return. It's really important to keep good records. It's you really want to think about how, um, you know, the person is set up, whether you're a W-2 person or whether you're 1099. So there's a couple different if you're W-2, you're considered an employee of the company. Um, They're going to look at just, you know, you get a W-2 when you're a server. However, we all know it's whatever that minimum dollar amount per hour, you know, it's not very much because all the money that the lion's share is coming from their tips. And so it's just very difficult. So for those folks, um, you just want to try to claim as much as you can. You're going to pay a little bit higher taxes, but if you're trying to get into the housing market, you know, if you're making 50, you want to try to show that you're making 50. Um, to segue to the, the, the self-employed person who maybe has what's called a Schedule C, so that's just a very, very simple, you're a sole proprietor. So you don't get a W-2. Mm-hmm. So then you're probably Schedule C, meaning you're self-employed and you file, a, you file a sole proprietorship Schedule C form. And that little form is really just a, a, a profit and loss is really what it is. It's just an official one that you send to the IRS. And so the reason why I bring up profit and loss is because you do have to do a year-to-date profit and loss. So we're, here we are, we're October the uh, 21st. And so if someone were coming to me today, we would ask, you know, for their tax returns for the last two years and then a year to date profit and loss from January 1 through October 21st. And that profit and loss would would basically look like that. It would look like the Schedule C that's on your tax return, but it'd be even more simple. You can literally it's something that could be done in Word. But I want to focus on that Schedule C slash profit and loss. Right. For a second, because that top number. Um, gross receipts. Uh, so oftentimes, um, you know, starting out, a lot of self-employed people sort of associate that figure with what their income is. Mm-hmm. What happens is that, yeah, right? So someone grosses $150,000 in their business, they write off 50 uh, in, in, ex- in expenses sort of in that center. So it's gross receipts mm-hmm. minus expenses mm-hmm. equals net income. And the net income is what lenders use for, they're going to use a two-year average. So they don't really want to see a decline. COVID threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into things. We could talk, we'll talk about that in a second, and we're hopefully coming out of that. But mm-hmm. uh, it threw in some additional requirements, COVID yeah. did, um, just because people are all of a sudden, well, I'm not touring or I'm not getting, stu- uh, st- I'm not playing in the studio. We're not doing any. So anything to do with actors, musicians, a lot of those things, as you know, just were, were tough and shut down. So how do we show now that this person's going to be back working, you know? So back to the Schedule C, I think the, there. what I want to make sure that's really important um, to understand is there are a couple of key things when doing your taxes on a Schedule C that we as lenders get to add back to that bottom line. So gross gross receipts minus expenses equals net income. Well, the net income is how do we make that bigger? How how could how could it be bigger? Well, the only way it could be bigger is if you if there's some addbacks to that which are allowed. So a couple of those would be depreciation. 
So if someone is depreciating their home, line 13 on your Schedule C, and then business use of home. So if you're using your home for your business, that is some, and there's a there's a deduction there. Even though it's a deduction, we get to add underwriter is going to come in and they're going to if they had if they had a, a let's go back to our example hundred fifty thousand dollars they had fifty thousand dollars if ten thousand dollars of that fifty in de, in deductions if ten thousand of that was for depreciation we're going to add it back and so now they're back to one hundred ten versus just only a hundred thousand. Cool. So, okay, I don't think I even know, knew that because yeah, like. Yeah. It's like your gross looks, I'm a six-figure business owner. And then you start taking the deductions. You're like, actually, but some of them you can add back. Some of them. But what about like childcare or um, what about maybe Uh, even... Business miles is the other one. So childcare, um, for mortgage purposes, uh, you're not allowed to add that back uh, to your bottom line. But uh, the depreciation, the business use of home and business miles, those are all going to be... Um, those are all going to be things that you can add back. So I say that because oftentimes, you know, when doing their taxes, you know, people are trying to write off as like any good American is to pay this little tax as they can. So, you know, if, if you knew that, well, you know, this deduction, I can take this one or this one, but this one actually allows me to add it back and, and helps me on the mortgage side. I'd rather take this deduction. You know, so just knowing those things, I think communicating with um, your tax preparer to say, hey, I'm planning on buying a home in the next year or so. So can we kind of uh, filter that through, you know, what what we're doing here? Because I, I may not want to take as many deductions as last year. So to bring that kind of full circle, I mean, sometimes you really don't want to, you know, take as many deductions because you may have to bite the bullet a little bit and just pay a little bit more taxes in order to get your income level up. So, okay. um does that help? Yeah, for sure. And it's and it's two years. So like if someone, there are a bunch of people who wrote in who were like, I'm preparing to buy a house. What yeah. should I do now? Is it two years? And for the people that did miss out on a year of income, do you look back a couple more years to prove that they can make that money again? Right. So I'll start off with, um, so the bad news um, as far as, you know, you do have to be in business for two years or self-employed two years, not three years anymore. It's two, not three years, only two years. You have to be self-employed two years. So if you could somehow show that you started your business in October of 19, right. You, you started it up, maybe you only filed a couple months of taxes, 20, that would be tough. Um, you know, if, if you didn't file a whole lot, so that would be because you're, you haven't filed 2021 yet right? You're not going to follow us till 2022. So we really would have a lot for that person. Hopefully, if you due to COVID, it's just thrown in some other things. So what you really want is, yes, two years tax returns. And if that person, what was the question though about uh, if they maybe... If they're like preparing for, they know in a couple of years they want... Oh, yes, yes, yes. So you want to go ahead, you want to go ahead and, and be, uh, like I said, I mean, making sure that you're I mean, it might be good to talk to me first. You know, you want to see where you're at. What, 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 where am I at now? Some people come to me just palms up and are just like, I have no idea of what I, you know, what it says on paper I make, but um, I want to buy a house. And so we look at their tax returns and say, look, you're writing off a lot. Maybe this year, think about maybe not taking some many deductions because here's how we will look at it. And now they're going to take an average. So if you, if you have higher income in 2021, um, that 2020 is still going to factor in there. It's still going to average in. Okay. Um, then they're going to also, Kristen, here's where I want to say, um, you know, pre COVID just pretty much the PL was all we needed now for 2021, let's, if we were closing and we don't have a tax return for it, wherever you're at, they're going to want a PL for, you know, from the last return through the, the current date, mm-hmm. a profit and loss. And so when when that happens, um, you know, a PL is is going to be there really just to show people, you know, what they're making, what they're not making. You know what I mean? And um, so I think the main thing it, now, if you've only if you've been in uh, business for five years in the same line of work like you this, or, or the same business, rather, we can get away with just using one year tax return. 
Okay. So when you're averaging those years, you do have to average in the lower year or, and they don't want to see a decline. So hopefully you're kind of on the increase. They don't want to see more than a 20% decline in income. So if you made a hundred and now you're making 80 or vice, you know, that's right there at the, they really don't want to see that's kind of like, well, what happened? And if it was COVID and now they're tracking back to make a hundred, you're going to be okay. I'm just using round mm-hmm. figures. Um, you know, yeah. Is that, um, would it still qualify you for a lower mortgage or? Yeah. I mean, the whole idea with, with, uh, qualifying is really, it's how much loan does one qualify for, right? It's really, um, it's not so much the house it's, you know, because you could have a higher down payment. So oftentimes I have creatives and they have a parent or grandparent that may give a large down payment, you know, gift. So now all of a sudden we have more options, um, because maybe, you know, they didn't have much of a down payment. So yeah, if we can, we'll, we'll let you know, the whole idea is we let you know what, what you qualify for uh, now. And then if there may be some, um, some contingencies in there, like, Hey, I've got something coming up. That's going to increase my income. Uh, what would it look like if, when that happens? And we can go ahead and tell you, you know? Okay. That's uh, awesome. I feel like this is backtracking a little bit, but could you explain the different kinds of mortgages you can get? Like what the different sure. loans are? No, I'm glad we didn't skip. So, you know, you have basically conventional loans. And when you hear conventional, um, that's when you hear the words Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, those are, are two entities that were, were set up by the government many, many years ago, but now they're, they're privately, they're privately run, but they're called government subsidized entities, GSEs. So, they're really just competitors, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And conventional is just, you know, these two people, they compete for loans, these two entities. And, you know, all of us lenders, we're trying to feed these loans to these guys. Well, conventional allows up to 3%, as little as 3% down. So it's up to 97% financing for first-time buyers. Um, There are also some, um, some down payment assistance programs those usually are going to require a 640 minimum credit score. Um, a down payment assistance program is usually going to be something um, where like FHA, which would be the next option. So FHA uh, plus a down payment assistance program or uh, FHA with your own down payment. So let me explain. So conventional, 3% down as little or maybe five. It can all be a gift. Um, so if you don't have the down payment, but you have some, the rest can be a gift. The FHA, three and a half percent down. The difference between FHA and conventional FHA is going to be very, very forgiving on credit scores being lower. Mm-hmm. So down into, we can do loans as little, all the way down to 580 if they have uh, a down payment, if you have your own down payment. FHA, three and a half percent down. They're going to allow uh, higher debt to income ratios. They're also going to allow lower credit scores. So FHA is Federal Housing Administration. It it is a government loan. So it's insured by HUD. Okay. So whereas Fannie and Freddie loans are insured uh, in the event of default, the government doesn't come in and and bail out the loan um, like like on an FHA loan. So I want to say the FHA is not like, There's nothing negative. In fact, um, thank God for FHA because it really fits a need for just so many people and loan limits. I mean, now they've just raised them. So you can go up to six, seven hundred thousand, you know, six hundred thousand now on um, FHA in this area. So um, another one would be THDA. So Tennessee Housing Development. Tennessee Housing Development is just a zero down program. What they do is kind of partner with FHA and it's it they provide the down payment, but they really just lending it to you. When you sell a house, you have to pay it back. So, but it is still a good option for people if it's the only way. They just have no way to get the down payment, and but their sort of their income is there, but they just they've kind of spent everything to get to where they are, and they just don't have that much a lot of down payment left. Then sometimes a down payment assistance program um, like THDA is really helpful because, you know, you're able to just go ahead and get into the house um, sooner than later than waiting. Cause it's really hard to save. I mean, another thing I want to mention is um, for down payment, you know, uh, 
we talked about gift. Another way people sometimes have, you know, maybe an IRA or something laying around uh, an old 401k, you can use those funds. You just need to check with the administrator, but you can often use those funds for down payment. And it may, as so many times, we're just, we're scrounging, we're looking for a way for a person. And next thing you know, we find some funds that are there. They just didn't think about. And now all of a sudden that opened up Pandora's box because now we have so many options for them. So side note there. Yeah. I didn't even realize there were so many options. Is there, is PMI still a thing? Like, do you get penalized for not putting down 20% or is. Great question. Yeah. So PMI is called private mortgage insurance. Um, and, and it's really, in, in essence, it's in short, it's just foreclosure protection for the lender in the event that the borrower defaults. And so what's the worst that happens? A, bar, a borrower maybe defaults. Um, the lender has to foreclose, which means they have to take possession back of the home. They have to you know clean the home up, get it ready to market like they would any other home and sell it. All of that costs money. So many, many years ago, these, these, these entities, these lending agencies, right, they all said, hey, we've got to, you know, you've got to figure out a way to mitigate the, the risk. So they charge insurance to the borrower. And so it's, it definitely is part of your payment. That's another good uh, – so with, it's figured differently between conventional and government loans. So government loans, meaning FHA, and the other one would be VA. If someone out there is a veteran – that's 100% zero. That's a zero down program, a fantastic loan, one of the best loans uh, ever in the history of mortgage loans. So, um, but they're, for FHA and conventional, they're going to charge a monthly fee. FHA is going to also charge an amount up front, but it's, you're, it's always going to be there. If you put more down on conventional, you can get out of the, the PMI. Okay. So PMI, what you're what you're asking, Kristen, is really it's it's really not been it's not been it's a fee that really benefit the borrower at all, but it's one of those things. If you don't have enough, if you don't put more down, you, you that that fee is. But here's the thing: most people have PMI on their first first house or so. It just yeah, you know, most people don't save twenty percent. It's difficult because I mean, it might what we call save yourself out of the market because you're waiting, saving, saving, saving. In the meantime, the market's going up, up, up. So it's like, okay, well, I can't. So how do we make those meet where we can get you there? You know? Yeah, totally. I've always had like a little bit of personal conflict because I, um, I've always been pretty debt free. Like I always bought cars with cash and was always pretty careful about what kind of debt I got into. But then a friend of mine bought her first house the same time I bought my first house. She had hundred thousand dollars in student loans both of our houses went up so much in equity that when she sold hers, she paid off all her student loan with the equity she got from that house. And I keep thinking like, if she had waited until she had paid off all her debt to buy a house, she might not, not have ever paid that off. And so I still kind of like, I'm still yeah. pretty careful about what debt I take on, but that, you know, I feel like you probably see that a lot, right? Well, for sure. And it's, it's definitely, um, you know, trying to stay debt free, uh, and being debt free, it's it's um, is, is definitely noble, right? I mean, it's it's it shows being a good steward of of your money. What happens is is that in mortgage world, and 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 in any lending, fair or not, uh, they base a lot of the scoring system. So Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. So those are the three sort of you know those are the three agencies. So. If you don't have any credit scores, like because you've just never bought anything uh, on credit, that's actually a bad thing in the mortgage world. You've got you really need to have a, a credit. Now, FHA says you technically don't have to have a credit score, but it's very difficult to get the loan approved in their underwriting engine, you know, in in in, in within their uh, scorecard. So it's very difficult. So when when you're dealing with that. Um, I think the main thing is, is, is just, uh, I lost my train of thought, but anyway. That's okay. Yeah. I know it's like, it's cause you're essentially wanting to see proof that someone's going to pay back a loan that they take. Right. Like that's what a mortgage company is looking for. Right. I mean, you're just, we're looking at a debt to income ratio. We're looking at gross expenses, uh, 
and really like expenses, we're just looking at things that show up on the credit report. So the credit report, I'm sorry, back to the credit report. So if you don't have any, you need to, they, they base your scores on the way you borrow money with using credit lines. So credit card. So it's, is, is maybe contra, is, it may be to some folks, counterintuitive, it really, you kind of need to have, you know, credit scores, you need to have build up, built up credit. So a couple of those things that are helpful to know are, I mean, you, you know, have a credit card, but how keep the, the relationship, you know, you want to look at that balance uh, to limit. So if you have a thousand dollar limit, you want to keep the balance of that thousand dollar credit card limit, maybe keep the balance at 200 or less, but use it. Okay. Um, you know, the longer you have open a credit card, like I would never close out a credit card ever. So if you have one, you open it when you were 20, even if you don't use it anymore, it's good to have because really the age of a credit card, it, it weighs a lot in their scoring model. So mm-hmm. as soon as you, the history, the, you know, even though you weren't using it, the fact you've had it there, it really boosts up the scores. There's little tricks like that. Um, don't pay collections. You know, if you've got a collection, don't pay it until you negotiate a settlement in writing uh, that says they will remove it from all three bureaus, a deletion, delete it from all three bureaus. You know, that's a big thing. So anything to do with credit, we can help you guys. We can help get there, um, help folks, you know, tell them what not to do. You know, sometimes people just rush it. Hey, I just, by the time they get to me, they've just paid off all these medical collections thinking they did a good thing. When in actuality, had I talked to them before, we would have gone a little bit different route and be able to maybe get those removed completely. Because by paying them, it's essentially like paying a speeding ticket. So now it's on your record. And why do, you know, we, none of us, you know, if we can avoid it, we don't pay the speeding ticket. We've always been taught that, right? We, we try to keep it off of the record. And so same kind of thing with, with um, uh, collections, things like that. You, you want to try to, it's, it's tedious. And you, there's companies out there that they will do the work for you, not us, but like credit help, credit help okay. um, uh, that where they will negotiate those, those settlements for them. But um, you definitely need credit scores. You need to have some uh, and revolving credit lines, meaning a credit card is really going to be, your your best bet yes maybe a a a loan that's a that's an installment loan that helps as well but revolving credit is is actually where where you get your most bang for your buck and using it wisely that's where you're going to get most increase on your credit scores and generate yeah what what are some of those like you kind of it kind of seemed like the collections thing having that on your record is kind of a red flag. Are there other things to try to avoid or get worked off of your credit report before you apply for a mortgage? Yeah, and and just always remember, unless you pay something thirty days late, it, it, it's not going to get your credit. So a credit card, for example, could have a um, you know a due date of the thirteenth. Well, it's not. You may pay it, and you have a grace period of fifteen days to the twenty eighth. We'll say you paid it on the 30th or the first of the next month it's still not late in terms of the you had to pay me a bit of late fee but they're not reporting that to the bureaus until you're 30 days late so obviously you don't want to pay things late um you know you want to you know show that you're paying your bills i would not never go into what's called credit counseling so there's some companies out there uh that will just remain nameless but they are do credit counseling and that's actually a bad thing. You have to get, we have to, in mortgage world, we have to get them out of the credit counseling before we can move forward because credit counseling in uh, for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, they look at that as, Hey, maybe I, I can't pay my bills. I needed this help. So they, they sort of put it in the bankruptcy sort of category in, or, or at least that, that uh, ballpark. And so we got to get out of that. So does that help? Yeah, totally. Totally. To know like those are kind of things to avoid or that really is more, you'd have to work through a lot to get someone a mortgage if that oh, was yeah. there. And, and we do that. I mean, there's times where we, we've got people working, you know, 12, 18 months and before they can get to where, you know, they just dug a hole. Um, a very common thing is you know, uh, something happened, you know, in the past that caused this negative credit event. And I've been trying to work to to get that squared away ever since. No shame in any of that. I mean, heck, you know, life happens. 
And, uh, you know, and so, um, but the, the, the thing that I find that people just don't know is they don't know the right way to get out of it. And they, 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 they think they're doing the right thing just by like, I'm saying, paying the collections, for example, uh, when in actuality that actually, it, it does what's called bring it current. So it's been sitting there dormant Mm -hmm. and really not having activity. And then all of a sudden it gets paid and now the damage is already done the credit report to the score so if you can just get it out completely all of a sudden now the credit score so those are little magical things waving a man i'm waving a magic wand here uh that we can help people with you know uh you know that's huge if someone's not in tennessee and can't come to you specifically could they go to another lender and say hey i want to buy a house in two years what should i do with I have a 500 credit score. How do I get it up? Or, you know, what do I, what do I work on next? Could they go? Well, we're, yes, I'm, we, we have licenses here. I'm licensed in, in several States. And then, um, we, so pretty much I can help most anyone. Um, okay. Awesome. Best. so, um, if I can't help them, we'll get them somebody on the team that can't, but yeah, that, that's what we do is like, yeah, let's see where you're at. Uh, you know, get it. I'd like to hear the story, kind of what's going on, where they're at, kind of where they want to be, what their time frame is, and hopefully just try to exceed that, that expectation. That's the whole goal that gives us a thrill. It's like, hey, I didn't think, you know, we had a situation recently where a girl had, um, you know, was was pregnant and homeless five years in 2015. So, um, and now we got her a home. I mean, she, I cried that day. I mean, <laughs> You know, that to me, that was what it was all about when she told us that, you know. Um, so people work hard to get, you know, to get there. You know, we want to work, work along with you. And I just I think a lot of times people just don't know how to go about it. And they and they just need some direction, you know, and we're here to do that. Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, someone did ask, is it possible to buy a house with a zero percent down? It is. Um, so um, a couple of ways. I'll, I'll name three. One, the VA, if you're a veteran, but USDA, uh, which is another, it's a one I didn't mention earlier, but USDA is also referred as uh, US, uh, USDA is like rural development. So it's going to be outlying areas. So so Murray County, a lot of those areas, you know, are, are going to be automatically USDA. And the thing about USDA, it does the 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 house itself has to be designated by the census tract to be in a USDA de- uh, designated area. However, like a whole neighborhood could be in, okay. in, like I, I saw a whole neighborhood in white house, right. And this, the whole neighborhood, I mean, so they built an entire neighborhood. So it's not like it's a farm or something. Or how, a farm do you find, how do you find that out? Would it be on the listing? Would it it be- is. It's, to, it's so easy. It's USDA.gov and fire the address in there and it pulls right up and says eligible or not eligible. The second thing is that it has income restrictions. So if someone is making $200,000 a year, I'm just throwing that out there. It's They have income restrictions. They won't be able to do it. So I think for a family of five or household of five, it's going to be in the 100000 range-ish kind of, you know, they change it every year. But that's USDA is one. THDA we mentioned earlier. So you have your FHA loan, THDA grants the down payment sort of lets you borrow it they don't require you to pay a payment on it but then you got to pay it back later if you ever sell the house so with now you're putting zero down in that regard as well so those would be the three ways you can buy one zero down okay i didn't know about the usda that is so cool about there being certain yeah yep yeah it's a great loan okay and then also only a minimum of 640 for the zero down, you usually have to have a 640. That's okay. just the only, the only reason I say that is because to go back. We definitely can help people and do that. At maybe have had some credit uh, struggles and maybe they're at 600, 601, 580, 580. I mean, all those we can work with, you know, depending on the situation. So we can approve loans with those. They, they have to have their own down payment. There's some, some little guidelines. They got to show that they're kind of getting back on track, but that's a big deal. I think some people just give up, you know, it's, ah, I didn't think I could buy a home. You know, yeah. I, th- I thought I had to have a 700 credit score. I'm like, that breaks my heart when I hear that, you know, that's just, you know, you want, uh, you want, you want people just to get the information. So. 
Totally. Yeah. There's way more options than I knew about just, just based on what you're saying here too. Um, so that's awesome to hear. And that would be the FHA loan for the lower credit scores. Lower credit scores always going to allow FHA is going to be, that's just a really, really great loan for first time buyers uh, that have had any sort of credit because they credit issues because FHA is basically just said, Hey, we're going to really treat you kind of like conventional does, you know, even though you've been roughed up some, we're going to allow some expanded guidelines, you know, allow debt to income ratio to be higher, you know, meaning they're going to allow you to, to borrow more than conventional would. So they're just, they're more expansive and FHA is just, they're, they're, they're reaching, and they're saying, hey, we, you know, we've got a bigger grasp. Or, you know, we want to hug these many people and get, let them get home. So I'm really thankful. I mean, it's, it's a great loan program. It's been around for a long time. They're constantly changing the rules and the guidelines, but it's been three and a half percent for a long time. It was three percent there for, I think, years ago. But now they've changed it three and a half. Um, but again, you know, people can get a gift. I mean, so if, if I always bring up, you know, hey, by any chance, have you ever talked to you know, mom, dad, grandma about, you know, and, and sometimes the answer is, you know, I haven't, but I, I bet you anything they would. Sometimes that's the answer. No, sometimes obviously it's just not an option at all. But if it is, it's just, you know, it's, a lot of times people just don't think about it, you know, so, you yeah. know, that maybe a gift is something that where the, the parent or grandparent is saying, like, you don't have to pay it back. Um, we're just going to gift you this for the down payment, you know. That's awesome. I have like two kind of specific questions of just situations. So like one is say a person has is owns their own business, makes about 90k, the and their boyfriend or their partner is W2. Is there any kind of preference of he should apply for the loan, she should apply for the loan or they should do it together? I know there's lots of like also interpersonal dynamics to decide there of but is there preference given to the person with the W-2? There's really not. I mean, um, it really, it's really about the uh, you're going back to the credit score. So we look at, you know, hey, um, you know, Jack and Jill, you know, they've, you know, one of them's got higher credit scores. If it's really, here's, and this is a good place to bring this up. So let's just say that, you know, she's self-employed you know, like you said, he's employed, um, whoever, let's just say he, she has a 640 and he has the 700, it's going to go off the 640 score. So if we're, if they do have a good down payment, um, they're going to be penalized for, you know, the, on a conventional route. So I would say if they could qualify in this would be, this would be a uh, rule I would say across the board. If, if, if one of the two parties has a, a bad credit score or a lower credit score and the other party, the, the, the party with the best credit score can get can approved on their own, then then you can you can go that route. Now, boyfriend, girlfriend, you're they're trying to partner together and do something together. Right. So in that case, you just want to kind of they're just we're just going to look at both. We're going to look at the tax returns and, the you know, it doesn't matter who's first or second or anything like that. Um uh, as long as both of their, their scores are okay, you know, mm-hmm. uh, meet the minimum requirements, then we decide if it's better to go conventional or, you know, FHA, how, how they're, you know, how they're going to go about it. But great question. Um, for the self-employed person, they're just going to look at, you know, those last year's tax returns. Um, we can look at, we can look at them along with them and, and, and kind of come up with what their income is, you know, so that's what we do. Kind of look at the, do an income analysis and let them know, here's what you got. He's got this. You are, you guys already knew that because his, he's on a salary. And then, you know, um, but it's really all about that. A lot of times self-employed person doesn't know exactly, you know, where they're at, you know, in terms of like what their affordability is, what their bankability is, you know. Right. That makes sense. Until someone looks at it. And then kind of the second, the second situation is, so say someone had a really successful business, closed that business to take a break or change careers, and then started something back up freelance. So there's a little bit of a gap. 
does it matter that they've proved that they can be a high income earner in the past? Or is it like, this is a new business, you have to have the two years? Short answer is yes. You had, uh, yeah, you have to show that you've had it two years. So um, if you uh, decided, boy, I just want to go be a real estate agent, you would need to show two years, you know, in that real estate agent, uh, you know, they're not going to base it on, Hey, you're fabulous, you know, businesses you have now. So, um, does that make sense? So now I will say this, um, there are examples of people changing jobs, you know, commission to commission, that sort of thing. And I know a lot of these folks or just changing, if you're kind of in the same general line of work, I mean, you, you know, and you, and you change names, that's one thing. But if you're starting a whole new business, you're going to have to have two years tax returns. Okay. Now, um, let me say this for those people out here who would want to know um, the, the reverse. So if someone, if, if you're working uh, and you're self-employed, you've been doing it self-employed for however many years, and then now all of a sudden you're going into the um, salaried world, the W-2 world. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no waiting period. So in that case, we're going to immediately. So someone was had, you know, regular income, irregular uh, you know, income, and they're filing their taxes for their self-employed and now all of a sudden they got a job making fifty thousand a year. We're immediately going to use the fifty thousand a year from the get-go. Um, in fact, we could even close sixty days uh prior to their start date. So we as long as they start within sixty days of closing, uh, we can go ahead and use their their new hire letter. Um, for their income, you know, to say they've passed their contingent, you know, hey, I've, um, I'm due to start here on December the 12th. I mean, we could, we could close before that, you know, even though they're not starting yet. So that would be the reverse. Okay. That's so interesting. Um, so like if we had a magic crystal ball and we were like, we knew real estate was going to double in the next three years. And someone's like, I need to buy a house now, but they just started their business. And they were really motivated. Would they be, would you be like, sure, get a job for a couple of years. Yeah. So you can buy that house. You know, like, I mean, it's a personal question too, but like, yeah. is that, a, that's an option? Absolutely. I mean, they can, um, yeah, if they go and get a job, that's, you know, we can start using that income, you know, in most circumstances. I mean, if they're W2'd. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there, is there like, um, I mean, I guess with the kind of different categories you place mortgages in, um, are there any kind of baseline you have to at least make this much or show you're netting this much? I mean, not really. I mean, we have people, I mean, if you think about it, I guess it just sort of plays out. There's really not technically a minimum amount, but it just sort of plays out that, I mean, you know, a hundred thousand dollar home is going to be a certain amount of, and then because of that, it can only be a certain, the payment can only be a certain percentage of your income. But, you know, it's, we, I would say, you know, if $35,000, that's not a written rule. Please don't hear me say that. But I would say if someone's generating, if we could provable income of 3000 a month, I mean, all of us, if they can feel, if they don't have a lot of other debt, I know just instinctually from, from doing this, they can afford maybe a $1,000 payment you know, a month, sometimes a little bit more, uh, depending on which loan program we're in. So, but that, that, that's going to equate sometimes to, you know, $150,000 home or something. So it all sort of backing into it. So someone could technically be making very, very little, but it's going to be hard to find a home, you know, for it perhaps. Right. So right. But they're out there. I mean, you know, we get, we get calls from people that are trying to buy a $50,000 home sometimes. I mean, it's, you know, it's, an hour away, an hour and a half away, but you know, they're still out there. <laughs> yeah, totally. And getting in to the real estate market then lets you move forward faster. Oh, for sure. I mean, the sooner you're in, it's, I, it's like that train we talked about, you know, um, once you're in, you're sort of on now you've got something that's, that's, you know, that you've, you've got an asset and it's, it's growing in value. And so the rate at which it's growing and that asset is growing in value is, uh, is, is netting your bottom line, you know, as a, as an owner, uh, to your, to your balance, your personal balance sheet. I mean, all of a sudden you've got equity. 
Uh, now, you can't get into that equity until you sell the home or do a home equity line, maybe, and you need to do some home improvements or whatever. But yeah, I mean, now all of a sudden, you that's how, you know, these people that buy, they're buying homes from California. It's not that they had all this cash because they worked harder <laughs> or whatever. Right. It's because the real estate market, well, now some of them, yes, but um, by and large, it, the idea is that, you know, the property values you know, they, they bought, sold, bought and sold, bought and sold. Now, well, gosh, now I can move over here to this train and maybe not even have a mortgage, you know, in their right. mind. So it, it's all relative. And, and I think, you know, for us, I think the good that we can take out of that is that there are so many people that really want to live here that I think real estate is going to be a good investment for, you know, uh, a long time to come, you know, around here. So totally. Yeah. Totally. So getting in that, getting on the train as soon as you can, figuring out the things. And I feel like the main things, so you mentioned like debt to income ratio. Is there a number you look at there? That's kind of like you have, you have this one credit card with some debt and you have this one student loan, but you make this much. And so you average them. Right. And um, so we're going to look at, um, you know, FHA is going to have, I mean, up to, I mean, sometimes 50% total debt to income ratio. So that means the housing payment plus your other debt. So if your housing payment was a thousand and you had a $500 car payment, hopefully you don't, but, uh, or $500 of other debts. All right. And by debts, I don't mean, uh, I only, I don't mean your cell phone. I just, and, and your, and, um, utilities, it's only credit. It's only things that are on the credit report. That's the only thing that, that a lender is going to look at. Okay. Um, Your, is student, student loans are on there, personal they loans? They are on there. And that's a great question uh, because um, we're going to use uh, typically at least a half per, to, to calculate a payment. Um, a lot of times people are in deferment, but unfortunately the lenders say, uh, and you know, conventional and FHA, they have their own way of, of calculating at least a minimum payment to impact the borrower when calculating a debt to income ratio. And so that, that figure is a half percent. So if you have a $10,000 balance on a student loan, they're going to take a half percent of that $10,000. Right. And they're going to say, well, we got to count a payment of $50. So even though there's no payment, now we're counting a $50 payment. Um, So, FHA is going to count maybe go up to up to 50 conventional. They're going to be total debt to income ratio is going to be, you know, high forties at the max, the housing ratio, which is your front ratio, it, meaning just what your housing expense is in rela- in relation to your income. Right. So that is, is usually, you know, 25 to 35%, you know, and Again, back to, you know, um, it's really a lot of what you feel comfortable with sometimes, because sometimes people qualify for much more than what they are comfortable with, you know, and I'm all about that. You know, if somebody says, well, gosh, I didn't know I'd qualify for that, but I don't want to buy that much of a house. I'll be totally happy with this. And, um, you know, that that feels good. But, But also you've got people that maybe are they just don't show how much they make and they really make more and they're frustrated because they really do want to buy more of a house that in it. So then the challenge is, all right, can we do that now? Or do we need you to, you know, do some things, make some improvements, you know, to generate more income or whatever, uh, pay some things off, you know, restructure some things. And that's where we can get into like, Hey, well, let's look at paying this down or this off, get your credit score up a little bit higher. And all of a sudden, you know, or we pay, we've got a better, better approval because, you know, they're approved for more. So we kind of look at that. We don't want people out there just paying things off and um, not, it may not be the right thing to pay off, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's so good to hear too. Cause I think people often just are like, I need to pay all these things off before yeah. I try to get a mortgage. Right. Yeah. It's good to have a plan, you know, cause you may not, may or may not need to pay all that off. Totally. Um, and with the tax advantages of whittling down your income as a self-employed person, I feel like that's where a lot of people are. They're like, we bring in this amount of money, but then we travel and write it off and we do this and write it off because we can. 
but maybe right. holding back from that for a couple of years, if they're really trying to right. jump into a, a right. payment. I think so. And I mean, a lot of times people just, they need a barometer, like they just don't know. So they'll, you know, a lot of conversations that we'll have in that case may be like, you know, it, it, they want to know, okay, if, if we did want to buy a $500,000 home or we needed a for X amount of mortgage, whatever, um, what is our, you know, how much income are, are, is needed, you know, um, you know, you, your debt to income ratio is going to, is going to disclose what your debts. So there's only somebody either can increase your income or get rid of some of the debts. And so um, those are just the things to kind of work towards, you know, to try to get them, to get them up higher. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, anything else you can think of that we can, if people are thinking, you know, two years down the line, really want to buy a house one year down the line, really want to buy a house, anything else you think they should do like today to start getting ready for that? Well, keep good records. Um, they're they're going to ask for, you know, we're going to ask for two to three months bank statements, um, all the pages. Um, a good thing. Uh, so some of some of some of us uh, out there may be uh, a lot of cash income. So that that can be that can be tricky. Because you want to try to document, keep it documented. So even PayPal and things like that are are is a better. But if cash. Cash deposits, if, if your income uh, based on your tax returns um, is, say, 5000 a month, um, if all of a sudden you have a large deposit of cash deposit of maybe half that, like $2,500, they are going to ask that. They're going to say, hey, what's this cash deposit? So we've got to be able to document those. So keep good records. Um you know, talk to, look, your, your tax, start gathering your, you know, all of your your items for deductions and maybe look at like where you think you're going to be in January, you know, um, you can go ahead and project that. And then, I mean, there's a lot of conversations in this last quarter that I'll have with self-employed people. It'll be like, okay, so here's where I'm at, you know, here's my tax returns. Here's where I'm kind of thinking is, are we going to be okay? If this is, you know, how we end up, you know, filing, they've, they've maybe, just done prelim, you know, a, pre, a preliminary, you know, draft of their tax returns. And they're just, because it's a moving target, you know, they're, you know, they don't know maybe exactly what they're going to make. Uh, they've got some other income coming in uh, or if they have another expense for the end of the year, but you can sort of track that and estimate that. And we can kind of come up with what you're, where you're going to be in the first quarter, you know, or for first of the year. So, the, the taxes just need to be, you can try to get them filed sooner than later, like try not to fi- wait late. I would, uh, you know, credit, it, take a look to the credit. I would let someone like me take a look at the, the official three bureaus. So the little bureau that you get is actually uh, through like freecurrentreport.com is what's, it's a consumer model. So it's free. And so Equifax gives that away or TransUnion gives that away just, you know, as a service because they get paid by some of these vendors who pay them. Some of the vendors, you know, like credit card companies for filling your credit, you know, giving you credit card offers. Well, maybe you want to, um, you know, make sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping your credit scores, you know, uh, high. So, uh, so anyway, I would just make sure those things right there, make sure, you know, you're not paying off things like you shouldn't be like, like I said, no collections, don't pay off um, collections. Uh, talk to us about that. We can help you get those removed or deleted, perhaps completely, ex, you know, expunge, you know, off your record yeah. uh, thing kind of thing. So, and that's, that's a huge thing. Cause all of a sudden now it's just not there and maybe their score goes from 600 to 700. Yeah. So that it's, I hate that we um, are all subject to these credit score things. Like I'm with you guys, right? I'm with, it's, it's unfair. And so that's why I really try to fight for people when I see injustice or something that's just not even their, you know, it's not their fault or, or maybe it is, maybe they just had a, you know, but they're, they've, they've learned from that it's years ago and they just don't know how to get out of it. So I want to help people with that, you know, move them forward. So credit, you know, income, you know, uh, and your, your, your savings. Those are the three things you want to keep good records on, you know, is to make sure that uh, you get, so remember those scoring models, 
that they give you, they're probably about 20 points less on average than what your actual score with a, a tri-merged credit bureau that we pull. So um, that's kind of because it's more in depth, it goes more in depth. Um, so they just come up with a more uh, aggregated score. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and this will be a segue into you sharing a little bit about how people can find you, um, if people yes. in other states can find you. But I wanted to ask this last question of, is there is there any benefit in building a relationship with a broker? Like building a relationship, having someone know you and having a track record of like growth and doing the things. Is there any benefit to that? Well, that's probably a great question for you. So, I mean, you know, we've known each other a long time and, um, you know, at this stage of my career, um, a large portion of, of my business is, is my past clients um, and they're coming back to me and they know the process. They, they understand, trust me um, that I'm going to treat them fairly and treat them right. And we're all going to work hard and provide great communication um, I think just having that relationship with someone is going to, is going to allow you to have the trust to know that we're going to get to where we're going to go. I mean, um, you know, if I were moving to another state, I, I wouldn't, um, I would either want to know someone who referred me to a lender there, uh, you know, that had a good experience, you know, same thing, you know, uh, uh, with a realtor, you know, or financial planner, you know, um, these are just be so, I would encourage you to uh, compare reviews. So you can look uh, at, look up and vet me on Google, on Zillow. I have a bunch of reviews, all five star. And so um, it's very important to, to know, like, yes, there's a bunch of places you can get loans, right? Uh, online. How in the world do I have a career? And it's really just about relationships. I mean, um, you know, we really it's really an art that's a lost art. I mean, I think the average age in my industry is about 50 now, but, you know, figuring out how to get someone from point A to point B um, when it's complicated um, is a big thing. It's very rewarding. Um, it's kind of like kind of winning a case, you know, you're going back and you're, you know, a lawyer goes back and he looks at all these cases and he figures out like, well, they did this. Why can't we go this strategy? Why can't we go this route? And so next thing you know, you're pleading your case because, you know, this is the rule. I see the rule. I mean, I got a rule. I got them. I got a, an investor to the other day to see things my way and they changed their guidelines because I said, look, this is wrong. This is the IRS code you're right here. And so, you just that literally happens. So, you know, if someone knows me and that happens, that's a big thing. I mean, somebody else might say, ah, this is just the rule and that's how it is. And they just move on and they're frustrated. I mean, I'm going to fight for it. So I think having a relationship with someone is this, if, if you value your relationship with your realtor or your, your an attorney, you know, financial planner, um, those are all your, your tax preparer. You need to have sort of your, your team, right. Your dream team of folks. And, um, you know, uh, like as you grow, as you grow your business, you'll have someone that helps you with a 1031 exchange. So, you know, or whatever for investment properties and you'll have other people you add to it. insurance. You know, I've had the same insurance person forever. It's all my insurance. I mean, you know, I just, I know if I call him or, you know, if it's not him, someone there, they take care of the situation, whether it's something to do with my roof or my car. I mean, and I love that. And that's been that way for 15 so years or something. So for me, that's a big thing. I know, you know, and tr no, you need someone you know, like, and trust that's going to give you good, honest help, you know, and that's what, that's what I try to do. Totally. Yeah. I've heard so many stories of kind of being laughed out of lenders offices and things like that. And that's not ever something you do. And it sounds like you work with people too. If they're not ready yet, you work with them to get there. Exactly. That's exactly. I mean, pride of home ownership is just one of, um, you know, and owning property is just, just in our nature. I think it's something that just gives us a sense of uh, worth, you know, uh, and uh, right or wrong, you know, um, 
And so I think that's the reason why so many of us try to work, you know, within, you know, nonprofits or whatever that we try, you know, Hey, let's, how many people can, you know, who, who can we help to get on the train, you know? Totally. Totally. Well, where can people find you? And if people aren't in Tennessee, what states can still contact you or any state in touch? Sure. So uh, my it's the Mark Neely Mortgage Team on Facebook and Instagram. And from there, you're going to have my website, um, Neely, N-E-E-L-Y. Um, It'll be in the show. I have, a mobile, I have a mobile app that, um, that you know, my clients work out of. So you download it from your app store and um, you can go out and calculate a payment, you know, after we've met by the phone. So usually what happens is people contact me. We have a conversation. We, we talk about a few minutes about what their goals are, what they're wanting to do and what their timeline is. And, and then uh, we get an application, we get them to fill out the application online. And then we, within 24 or 48 hours, we're getting back to them, you know, and letting them know they're fully approved and ready to go. Now, if, if it's a really tight thing, we need to do it in a couple of hours because, you know, there's an offer on the way, then we, we move things aside and we do that. But, you know, then once they're pre-approved, now they're just sort of, now they're out looking with your agent and we're checking in with you maybe once a week or every other week and say, hey, are you getting out looking this weekend? And, you know, that they've already got a pre-approval letter that they can use and um, then hopefully they get under contract and we close 30 days later. So, and we say, woohoo. <laughs> So, yeah, um, but I would go, that's the way to find me, uh, 567-8882, area code 615. This is our phone number here at the office, 615-567-8882. But I've got a team that is just amazing here with me, and I would be nothing without them. And so it's a collaborative effort, and, um, you know, we are here to make the dreams come true. So, well, thanks, Mark. And you know how much I am so honored. I can't tell you how honored honored I am to, to be here. So um, hopefully I didn't ramble or uh, go too long or whatever. But no, and, uh, it was if you guys have any questions or I didn't make sense, you're like, what the heck were you, you were talking about there when you lost your train of thought? Uh, hit me up and I'll, I'll be here for you. But go on, like me on uh, Instagram and then Facebook. And um, you can always communicate with me through there. To me, that seems like the easiest way now. <laughs> you know, I I know. Give a <laughs> What's the phone number? <laughs> so, well, all right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for the interview. Bye, guys. Thanks Thank for everything. You. All, all right. right. See you.